And welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our newest segment, Spotlight on Culture. Uh, today's guest is Ramon Static. He is an artist and muralist. And if he can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Ramon grew up on the south side of Chicago, surrounded by urban art and public murals. He was classically trained at the American Academy of Art, and he is also co-founder of RK Designs, a graphic art and mural collective. Ramon, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, you are so welcome. Uh, I, I want to say, um, before we jump in... I read something about you that struck me as very interesting and actually quite rewarding. It was what they have as your artist statement. And I want to share that with our listening audience so they'll know what a fine gentleman we have with us uh, on, okay. on, on Liveline today. And okay. I quote, it says, doctors save lives, police fight crime. And the artist dictates what we know as image, icon, and form. I live my life of observation and creation. I believe that being well-informed on a subject of your work and having an organized strategy produces a more intriguing work of art. I believe man has a right to choose his reality. In my reality, I have chosen my own destiny. Time and fate have confirmed that producing art is my positive contribution to society. The work I produce symbolizes and creates optimism for life in our industrial society. It also challenges the oversaturation of the mindless sexual and violent images in our pop culture. I put forth a passionate effort to produce art that has a spiritual, political, and urban aesthetic. That just blew my mind when I read that. It was something you you are so welcome. It's not you gave you allowed us to take a glimpse inside your soul, if you will. And right. in this day and age, it's, that is something I wish we had more of. And so I just, I just thought it was important to share with our listening audience who you are. Yes, you're an artist and a muralist, but, but, but the person. And so I wanted to, to share that with the listening audience. And again, welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely good to be here. And um, the funny thing is that um, I actually wanted to uh, relabel that as being more of my manifesto than, uh, oh. than an artist statement. And I was going to actually like write a new artist statement that was a little bit more, uh, that was a little bit more brief, you know, and and and, and, and um, formal sounding the way uh, the way a normal uh, the way a mission statement would sound. Let's just say that. But um, that yeah, that that's more of a manifesto. That's like kind of a personal uh, virtue that I live by. Well, you can't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but I can't make it shorter and more direct, though. As, yeah. As a mission statement, you know, especially after reading or spending time reading um other 
other um, businesses and uh, entrepreneurs' mission statements also and seeing how they're direct um, with their mission right there. Because you know a mission statement is normally, um, what, uh, three three sentences to a paragraph long? You know, even uh, Walt Disney has a three-paragraph mission statement. And that's kind of <laughs> what um, makes is making me uh, read, is making me uh, one of um, want to change the label of that to a manifesto okay. because that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. And it's okay. more simple and direct. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks. So, well, uh, I, and let me say this on this show, we focus on tourism and okay. what that means is we delve into the multi layers of the multi billion with a B dollar industry of tourism and under right. ordinary circumstances, when a person hears the term tourism, they automatically think of vacations. There is that, but there is also the many different tentacles under the label of tourism. And, and we, on this show, like to look at every aspect of it. And often uh, we look at the behavior and the motivation of tourists what makes the tourist want to visit a certain area or site. And that, right. quite frankly, is what is and was our interest or reason for inviting you to be our guest today because the work that you do as a muralist, in our opinion, is indeed a motivator, not just okay. for art enthusiasts, but, but for those who love to look at art and the impact that it can and does have on people. So now I'm going right. to be quiet and let you talk. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, um, you know what? To shoot from the hip, um, the work um, you know for, for me, um, especially if you live out on the south side, uh, the west side, or around Chicago, is uh, my main, my main uh, original intention behind producing these works of public art are to create community landmarks or landmarks for communities, especially communities that don't have landmarks, you know, especially for communities where um, people, people drive through there, um, they, they may feel um, intimidated. They, they, they may feel scared because of some um, things they may have seen on the news, per se, where, where that doesn't mean that those areas is all bad. Either right, like people live in these areas, and all in all places of the world, like that. As a matter of fact, you may hear these horror stories about what happens in certain cities and in certain countries around the world. But you get there, and like the first thing you don't see is, is people getting people in a firing squad. No, you see real life. You see people living their life right there. So, so in other words, there's kind of like a a, a, a dehumanizing, um, alienating stigma. That like a they're, they're like neighborhoods with uh, high crime rates have, where people just make it seem as if, or 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 or, or people think of the idea that um that this that this has happened by itself overnight. You know, it just became a bad neighborhood overnight, and these people are just lazy and can't pull up their bootstraps, and 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 and, and that's that and that's directed toward a whole um neighborhood of people right there, right? Where in all reality, like like I said, like there's a lot of gray area. In, in those situations, right? So, in other words, take for instance, you may have a neighborhood like Lawndale or Inglewood that may have um, these, um, may have a, a higher crime rate than most other parts of the city. That doesn't mean there aren't good people that don't live there. And that doesn't mean that people, that people that live there don't want a community landmark. Um, the, the, the drastically I noticed uh, as far as traveling around the city of Chicago is that specifically um, the areas that were missing community based landmarks. Were the black neighborhoods, 
right? Um, for instance, um, you know, when I, when I go see my friends or go paint at Humboldt Park, um, you have the Puerto Rican flag hanging above the vision, right? Above the vision street off of Western. We go into a little village. Um, you have uh, the Mexican gateway um, above 26th Street, right? Um, hell, you even go into Boys Town, you have the gay flags um, on Halsey Street. Um, not a gay, just like a gay flag pole on Halsey on Street. All those are community landmarks that identify those communities, right? They, they give you a brief idea of culturally. Um, what you're entering right there, right? Yes. So, yes. In, in, yes. Regards to the, in regards to the, the black neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, I want people to enter, to enter the, the black neighborhood in the city of Chicago, and not think, and not and not just think it's just all murderers that live there. No, it's just productive people in society, companies, in the city, the companies, neighborhoods, right? That they, they, they live there, they have children, they raise families there, right? And in a sense, it's to create more of our cultural identity for the neighborhood and more of a, more of a pride for the area you live in right there. You know, so like, um, there've been, there've been many areas that I've worked in, right. Um, some areas that already have landmarks, um, others that don't. Right. And like, uh, and each of them have, uh, specific needs, um, per, per project. Right. So like, um, no one area wants, like wants the same stuff. Um, but then again, in, in some ways, a number of areas do kind of want the same stuff. In other words, everyone everyone wants to see heroes, right, and legends that look like them within their area right there, which is understandable, right? So, like, you, you kind of have to, I kind of have to cater to that as an artist and uh, find a, a great area in regards to what I know the people in the community want, what's in good context, what's in good taste, what will offend yes. them, what shouldn't go up there, right? And um, what will inspire people when they see it? And also, what will give you a, better, a brief idea as far as who, what the values of this community is, who the people are in this neighborhood, and what do they stand for, right? Like, everybody needs that. Every neighborhood needs that, you know, to at least give it some kind of driving force. Like, in other words, um, landmarks and public art um, defines, like, gave this country its cultural identity, right? From Mount Rushmore to the Statue of Liberty, you know, um, the, the, the Hollywood sign, you know, the, the gold statue in Washington Park, you know, the Father of Time statue um, piece in Washington Park. The list goes on, right? So, like, um, there's a lineage, um, there's a legacy of public art that happens per generation and um, per um, per era in society, you know, per level of where um, of where technology is at in society, which, which is another conversation in regards to how technology affects art and the production of art. And, and, and how fast it gets pumped out, right? And, and, and the content art. But um, that's that's pretty much my, my angle, though, as far as um, why a lot of these projects happen, um, and kind of how they happen, and the content. Basically, I'm basically explaining why these projects happen. You know, as a means of, like I said, community, uh, creating community landmarks and landmarks for these communities, um, especially communities that don't have any landmarks, right? They don't have any, anything to identify them with landmarks, especially, um, you know, starting off in the city of Chicago, right? Where it's like their neighborhoods in the city of Chicago don't have that. But then once you go into the business of producing public art, which is a whole other level, then you realize, you know, there are entire towns and entire cities in rural America that don't have anything to. So it, on another level, there's actually an open market to be a public artist. Um, in, in, in America, you know, I, I can at least speak for the United States right there and within my travels. 
you know, because because um, let's just say a while ago I had a I had a number of projects that I've done in um, South Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You know, that they, they had little to no mural scene, public art scene when I got there, and like after a few years of going back and forth down there, it was created. You know, so like um, and there there are many of um other cities like that popping up with their own public art scene as as a way of defining their community. So therefore, we drive through these neighborhoods. You just don't like. You just don't see. Um. You know. You know. It doesn't feel like you're about to get assaulted, or feel like you're going to have a bad day or something like that, right? You should be able to see something that's more inspiring. So yeah, that's kind of the bigger part of my angle. It, it's. I think that's what they call what what is referred to as placemaking art. Yeah. And that is an excellent thing. We we have utilized a bit of that. Uh, I think uh, on the in the area that where the museum is, the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is located, but exactly. we 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 did that I think 15 years ago, and uh, it was interesting to see the response for the community, and it was a little rough around the edges, particularly on the north end of what is now the Pullman National Monument, but. What was interesting is that the mural was there. It was very colorful. Uh, it was beautiful, very well done. And all of the years that it was there, there was not a crayon mark, not one iota of graffiti that was affixed on that. And so people, and I hear what you're saying, people, you know, the, the people who live there, it's almost as if when you show them you care enough to care about them, then they respond in kind. And so no one ever came and said, thank you for doing the mural. But the sheer fact that no one ever put a mark on it, spoke volumes and said how they felt about it. And clearly the message went out not to do it to whoever the <laughs> people were because no one ever did. And so it is very meaningful, the work that you do with those murals. And, and just, I, I don't know if, if you've had the kind of feedback to let you know personally that what you have done means something, but it does. It absolutely does. And you you can, sometimes you can get the message or receive a message that's nonverbal. And right. so, but it takes a thought, a person who has uh, the insight or the soul, kind of soul that you have that thinks, thinks enough about it, the work, to understand the potential and the impact. And so, you know, we are grateful, and I'm sure that many, many people are. And I guess I just want to ask the question, uh, but you, you may have answered it. When when you start a project that way, when you go in and launch a, the idea of a project, are, do, do you think about what the community needs or what you think that you can contribute that will react or respond to that need? Um, so, like that, excuse me. Um, that, that um, attribute varies um, per community. So some communities 
It could be as simple as finding out what they don't want to see, right? What may offend them. And you work within the parameters outside of points A and B, which, you know, let's say they may not want to see um, triangles and squares on the wall. So you create everything else outside of those two parameters right there. There's some areas where that may be a, maybe a, a variable, right? But then there are other areas where you have um, complex social, like social, social and social economic economic issues, where you know just um, a pretty picture on the wall um, may not be what they want, what, what these students really need to see, you know. And mm-hmm. and, 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 and sometimes um, you know some areas require um, to do pieces that promotes ideas of self reflection, you know. Um, some 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 areas requires concepts uh, of of art that just uh that this this that that just um promotes the idea of creative and constructive thinking right there internal thing is you know um like a like different ways of uh, creative self reflection right there um so like so for instance like the Pullman project um took more than that. Right, like I actually did um, work with the Pullman Historic Society um, to do um, research, or do in-depth research on like the, the history of Pullman and um, and, and and like the, the, the values of the community of Pullman. Now, keep in mind, the project I'm doing right now off of 111th and Cottage Grove is, uh, from my understanding, is like the first of a series of murals that's supposed to happen on a corridor of Bidocks off of Cottage Grove. So, um, therefore, um, it made sense. Um, to me, to actually create a um, piece that paid homage um, to, to technically tourist, a tourist piece, right? That paid homage to the Pullman culture and all, but something that worked within context to to, to, to the historic Pullman Museum that's directly across the street from the mural. So therefore, when you get off the train, when you get off the metro train in that area, when you get off at, at, at the train stop, you know exactly where you're at, right? And that the mural itself could, could actually kind of leads you um, are supposed to lead you into the direction of the of the museum, so that way you know you're in the right place. Um, yeah, that way the, the, the artwork, you know, is, is kind of like a place marker, so that you know that you're in the right place, right, and you're going in the right direction. Um, but then um, I had another project recently that um, I just completed that was um, in Denver um, on the on the on the on this community center called no, it was an art facility called the Red Line, right? And the Red Line art facility. Was in um, let's just say it's in, in in Denver's um, neighborhood, where it's, um, there are a lot of immigrants that stay in this neighborhood, um, and, and a lot of um, a lot of uh, homeless shelters in this neighborhood. Um, so basically, they wanted to see something that represented people of color, and it felt re- very cultural. But they didn't want to see an anti-Trump mural, right? So like, so still within within you know the parameters of doing stuff that of doing something that represents people of color. That's a that's a wide uh, a wide um, avenue to pick from on a creative level, right? I mean, if you just you know just excluding political content, just a culture of people, just a, the culture of people of color, that's a lot to choose from. So I was still able to produce a mural just off of that. Um, to me, as a public artist, context is everything, right? Like context, yes. Like just having yes. the right images in the right place. Is everything you know? Like so, it goes context first, um, quality um, first two, but or, or second. Your context first, quality second, um, literal message um, third. Right? Like just overall what the mural is saying, 
right? But, but how bold is it saying, right? Um, and not only how bold is it saying, saying, also another variable um, to be considered when you're producing murals is the viewing is a viewability, like the, the viewing aspect, meaning that if are you doing a mural where more people are going to walk past it or drive past it, right? That makes a huge difference in regards to the scale of the images you put on the wall, right? So in other words, mm-hmm. if you're doing a mural in an area by an expressway, it makes sense to do giant, bold images with um, high contrast colors, you know, and bold graphics right there. Because you're creating something for people to notice in their peripheral vision or sitting in a passenger seat. If you're creating a mural in some subway tunnel or something like that, or some corridor where thousands of people want to walk past, then it reverses. Then you have to create pieces that's intricate in detail because people want to walk up on it, like on a regular basis, right? Like, you know, on a regular basis, and they're going to look for the detail, or even they're not looking for the detail, there will be thousands of the same people who's going to walk past the same area and, 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 and notice stuff on a, on a regular basis. You know, so like, and, that's, and that goes back to that contact thing also, and considering who's viewing your mural and, and how they're going to view it. You know, um, the, other, the other wild thing that, that's, that's been happening is of the influence of uh, social media with um, street art and um, public art, uh, meaning that, um, like, people, people follow street art and public art on social media. Like, that actually helps um, give me a lot of um, national and international projects right there, right? Like, um, almost to the extent of um, social media itself being um, the poor man's um, PR firm, if you will. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> another, another huge factor of um, public art and street art and of the aspect of tourism this is going to bring us full circle in this conversation is, um, you know, you know, like, um, how do I put it? No one thing is all good or all bad in life. We, we know this, right? Within the age you've been living. Yes, yes, yes. Um, no one thing is all good or all bad, right? So, like, there are, there are shady, like, like there are a lot of good sides and productive sides to street art and public art. There are some sides that are relatively shady, right, that are on the professional level. Um, I, I, I'll go ahead and, and make statements about it on record, you know, and I'll make the same statement five years later. Um, for one... All right, and this is, this is where it gets very great at. Um, the rise of new street art and public art um, is usually a sign of, um, of um, incoming um, change, like drastic change in the neighborhood, sometimes gentrification, sometimes better management, right? Kind of hard to tell at first. Um, based off the popularity of street art and public art, um, those landmarks itself have raised property value. Um, in the instance um, of Wynwood, Miami, Wynwood, Miami, Florida, right? Um, the store uh-huh. behind Wynwood, Miami, Florida, is um, that's the area where people go to during, a, during a, the, the, the week of Art Basel, Miami, or Art Miami, to look at all the graffiti art and the street art, right? Now, they've been doing this for about like uh, maybe 10 or 12 years now, right? Now, from my understanding, after talking to a number of locals, Wynwood used to be like one of the shady parts of Miami, um, that was very industrial, had a lot of warehouses, a number of missions, a lot of homeless people, right? Wynwood is between um, Little Haiti and, and Overtown, right? Both neighborhoods of people of color, right? So, like, 
Wynwood is not Miami Beach. It's not part Miami Beach, right? Miami Beach is a tourist Miami. Miami Beach is an area where you think of Miami, you think of Miami Beach, right? When you think of Miami, you don't think of Wynwood, period, right? All right. right. So right. As, um, as Art Basel was happening and these people were going driving from Miami Beach to Wynwood to see these, uh, these street art and graffiti walls, um, galleries began to notice that there was a large crowd of people going over there to explore this area. Therefore, art galleries began to set up shop in Wynwood, right? A few years <laughs> later of this, um, you've got your art galleries, your cafes begin to pop up. Then now you have these high-rise luxury condos <laughs> that's coming through. So something that was once like an underground gym is now, is now going mainstream. And now Wynwood is almost like a, another Hyde Park or something like that. You know, like, like a, I don't yes. know I'm trying to put yes. a Hyde Park, but Wynwood, Wynwood now is the same Wynwood as it was 10 to 15 years ago. Like, 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 period, right? So in that instance, um, the street art and graffiti art raise a property value, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go, you know, far left or far right, right, and say how good or how bad it, it is, but like an abundance of street art can actually, um, can, can, like, can actually increase the foot traffic, um, in a neighborhood right there and make your area increase tourism, period, right? Like, so, so, and, but the thing is, the reason why I worked in Wynwood, though, and what Chicago needs to follow is that, all right, um, there, there, there has to be a place in regards to curating public art and street art where, like, either you're gonna, either you're gonna have some of it where you have to go through a bureaucratic process, you know, which is uh, having the owner review your design, get okay from, for okay from community, or you have to have some, or you have to have have to have a number of walls where there isn't any of that. You know, you just invite an artist out to paint and let them know what not to do right there. Therefore, you have more projects going up at once at the same time. Like, that's, that, that, that's very impactful right there. And that's actually the standard of doing a street art and public art um, in, in, in these neighborhoods right there as far as, like, how to transform them. Because um, if you go to Linwood, within that area, they're, like, um, they're, they're going to mess around and be, like, uh, five or ten murals on one block within, a, within a, every block within a one-mile radius. Right, like when what is that dense with um with, with, with murals and street art right there. Right? And there are a few more areas around the United States that's popping up that's happening like that. Um Denver is doing a lot of that. Um Chicago is trying, but we, we gotta try harder. I love you, Chicago, but we, we got we gotta do better <laughs> on a professional level. <laughs> um you know, seriously, like yeah, because there seems to be like a, a there seems to be um a high level of nepotism that I noticed that happens. With um with some of these projects, you know um, that, we're, that we're going to rename nameless on, but seem like a number of people to get um get recruited from these projects. And you know what? It will, you know this one. I'll take that back. The nepotism isn't alone to Chicago. That's the art world, man. That's just the way the art world works. You know, like I've been on the witness side of nepotism a number of times, to where there's certain projects that I've been a part of that I wouldn't have been selected for the project unless I wasn't really good friends or made friends with the right people right there, right? So that's mm -hmm. kind of a part of um, playing a game. And the other variable um, to street art that people don't know is um, there's, like, something that's happening now or has been happening where pretty much galleries use street art to promote their artists and promote their galleries. And they use the same gallery tactics they normally use in a gallery to bring into the street art and graffiti world, and they kind of don't mix. It's kind of not the same thing, right? So, like, there's been an ongoing conversation in regards to what's the definition and what's the difference between street art 
and graffiti art, right? And the truth is, there are a lot of huge differences. A lot of huge differences. All right, for one, um, graffiti is very non-apologetic, right? Graffiti writer of vandalize anything, right? You know, if it's a blank wall, uh, everyone's going to see, someone's going to write on it, right? Period. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the other variable of um, that makes graffiti not shoot art is um, the legal ramifications. So in other words, it's graffiti when it's illegal, period, right? Like, in, in other words, I write on your wall, you don't give me permission for it, you call the police on me, that's graffiti right there, right? Shooter, right. on the other hand, it is me calling you up and we talk. But, hey, you know, I want to paint your wall. Like, yeah, you want to paint my wall? I right, go ahead, paint my wall. Here's some money for it. You know, let me set you up. That's the way street art works right there. That's two different things right there. But it's, it's, it's almost like a WWF wrestling versus UFC. One of them looks very entertaining. <laughs> the other one, someone gets tilted. And, you know, that, that's how much of a drastic difference it is. Where people see that, where, where, where people get, get, get too confused that if you associate anyone that uses a spray can to do art as doing graffiti, that's a fallacy, right? Because a spray can, especially with spray paint, has actually evolved to Spray paint is, is evolved to a legitimate art tool that you can buy in an art store or a Michaels or something like that, and you can actually make art with. Like, in, in, in other words, uh, it's no longer just, just the, 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 the compressed aerosol paint you give in a hardware store. Now there's specialty spray paint made for you to do art with. You, you see what I'm saying? So, like, um, the other variable that um, also separates graffiti from street art is that um, a lot of um, people's favorite street artists design the pieces, but really don't care to paint walls for sport like that. They'll rather work in the studio. You know, like a, a number of street artists I've seen do that, right? I come from a graffiti background. I like to paint walls for sport. What I mean by that is, I paint walls like uh, guys go fishing on the weekend, right? Either way it goes, uh, every weekend I'm somewhere painting for some money or for no money. I'm, I'm out here painting. That's how I want having 450 murals under my belt, right? Let me, let me say this to you. What, you're on a roll, and I just want to catch you in midstream there. I yeah. would like yeah. very much for to be able to communicate with you on any further murals that you do that you plan to do in Pullman because you know the racial mix that's there. Most people don't. And so it is imperative that there is a mural of that the within the composition there includes people of color on the yes. north end for all of those children who are getting out of those that's where all the schools are who are yes. walking past that going to the bus you yes. know getting on the train so i just wanted to share that with you because it's important um and we can have a conversation offline about that but i do really 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 want to be able to do that and i yeah. just got a, a a note from my engineer we're almost out of time we have 60 <laughs> seconds i'm sorry I to be thank you i no 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 i thank you so much for being our guest today. I thank you for giving part of your Sunday to join us. And all I can say is, everybody, join me in thanking and welcoming our guest today, Ramon Static. And we hope that you will come again. We're going to invite you to come again. And okay, we just need to do a quick wrap up. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. You're welcome. You're all welcome. right. Thank you. It's definitely good to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care.
Everybody, thank you for sharing with us another informative show on the ever-expanding topic of tourism. Thank you to the listening audience for spending part of your Sunday with us. And a very special thank you to the Pullman Messenger Magazine, United Auto Workers Local 551, and Chew Chicago. Thank you to our fantastic engineer, Mr. Don Newsom, smooth jazz artist Jonathan Fritzen for allowing us to use his music on our show every week. And last but not least, you, the listening audience, because without you, there would be no show. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes-Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.